You think I care? I don't care anymore! Quit hitting me. I've lost my mind! Quit hitting me. Cool, you don't need to give a fuck. It's cool, I got video proof of you doing this. You're crazy, bro. You're crazy. Let me leave, you have me blocked in. Let me leave, you're kidnapping me. Let me leave. A family in unimaginable grief after a 14-year-old girl was electrocuted in the bathtub while using her cell phone. You're not supposed to bury your babies. Madison Coe's family is speaking out for the first time since her tragic death last weekend. The teen loved to soak in the tub before bed, and she usually brought her cell phone into the bathroom to play games or listen to music. Authorities are still trying to figure out what went wrong. We do know that Madison's phone was being charged and the charger was connected to an extension cord so that it could reach an electrical outlet. Does the extension cord make it more dangerous? Absolutely. The, the floor is wet. It's probably laying on the floor. It compounds the, the danger even more so. Madison's stepmom Felicia made the horrible discovery. Went in to tell Maddie that it was time to get out so we could go to bed. And I called her name, she didn't answer. So I went in and I thought she was asleep. Felicia is a nurse and Madison's dad, Logan, is a firefighter and EMT. They did CPR until paramedics arrived. There was so much water in her little lungs. And it all seemed so unreal. The Lovington, New Mexico medical examiner just announced the cause of death has been confirmed as electrocution. I don't know if it got dropped in the bathtub. I don't know if she had it sitting on the toilet next to the bathtub playing music. Maybe she reached over to pick it up to change a song. Those are answers we're never going to have. Up here is where Maddie slept. Madison's purses are still hanging from her top bunk. Her little sister, Cambry, told us she used extension cords all the time to charge her phone. She'd get an extension cord and plug it in behind there and ring it up to her bed and tie it around like right here. We were there after the heartbroken family visited the funeral home for the first time. They say Madison dreamed of having an impact on the world. Now they hope that the tragedy of her death will offer a lesson on the dangers of cell phones around water. We're all so attached to our cell phones and our electronic devices and games and everything these days. None of that matters now except for our beautiful angel is gone. in the wild. This is disgusting. Disgusting. Fuck you. Ma'am, you're on camera. 
I would leave now before I yeah. call the police. Yeah. I will call the police yeah. if you don't leave. No, you are not permitted to grab yeah. my phone. You're not permitted to grab this hat. Yeah. I don't know where this behavior is coming from. And just guess let what? Him be. Just let show him his be. uniform. Show just his let uniform. Him be. Show his uniform. You disgrace the U.S. You disgrace the U.S.A. You fucking piece of shit. You put me on it. You put me on it. You put me on it. Your friend didn't give it to you? Your friend didn't get your counsel? Why didn't you ask him? I can't. I have no more money. 
il y a quelques semaines, j'ai reçu ce mail. Il y avait des informations de sécurité informatique dedans. Envoyé anonymement et le mail, il se finissait par « Le papier sur la caméra, c'est bien, mais il y a le micro aussi pétasse. » Hi, Mystery Recap here. Today, I'm going to explain an American science fiction drama film called Equals. Spoilers ahead. Watch out and take care. The movie begins in a futuristic world. Mankind went through a devastating war a century earlier. The war only left two peninsulae suitable for inhabitants. One of the peninsulae works under a legislative body called the Collective. The Collective has set extreme rules and laws to make sure such a war does not emerge again. The citizens of the peninsula are called the members, and the Collective monitors and controls all of the members' actions. With a futuristic approach to solving the problem, everyone in the peninsula is made mentally stable. All emotions and diseases have been eradicated. People live an automated life, they do not talk to each other unless they have to. The concept of friendship and relationship is gone, and any show of emotion is considered illegal. Marriage is non-existent and any form of sexual activity is contrary to society's rules. Babies are born strictly through artificial insemination. On the other hand, no one knows what is in the other peninsula. People assume that primitive human emotions are allowed there. Silas is a member of the peninsula. He too is mentally stabilized and is void of any emotions. He works as an illustrator at Atmos. When Silas walks out of his futuristic home, we see that everyone around him is in white attire. Large skyscrapers spread throughout the city, and everyone seems to be automated. As per usual, he walks into his workplace, a voice announces a disease called the switched-on syndrome, more commonly called SOS, it is a condition in the members of the peninsula, where their mental stabilization stops working, and they start to get their emotions back. It has four stages and is considered fatal by the collective. The members are daily reminded of the effects of SOS via an announcement. Nia is Sila's colleague and a fellow member of the peninsula. That day at lunch, the members eat in their outdoor cafeteria. While they engage in a conversation about work, Nia stays especially quiet. While returning home that night, Silas comes across two guards restraining a man named David. A woman who is also restrained screams David's name in dismay. The two are suffering from SOS and have gained their emotions back. They are being taken into a facility called DEN, Defective Emotional Neuropathy. DEN was established by the collective to hold in the patients suffering from SOS. While not many people know of what occurs inside the place, it is rumored that the people from the fourth stage get killed mercilessly as the stage is beyond healing. The display of emotions unsettles Silas. He then comes back to his apartment and we get a full view of it. It doesn't have any decoration or furniture and is highly modernized. To pass his time, Silas plays a futuristic puzzle game. The following day, Silas listens to the news, which reports that David and his partner were arrested for being engaged in sexual activities. As Silas and his team work that day, a man jumps from the top of the building to commit suicide. The team watches the dead body and talks about it coldly. Just then, Silas notices signs of human emotions in Nia. Her hands are tightened and she seems nervous. He notices the oddness but doesn't think much of it. Later, they are in an auditorium watching a presentation, where Silas cannot stop looking at Nia. At night, he eats quickly and seems to be enjoying his food. He doesn't play with puzzles either, he is beginning to go out of his automated personality. He dreams of his trying to commit suicide and wakes up in distress and hits his head. This is the first time he has ever had a nightmare. The following day, he goes to the doctor where he meets a man named Jonas, who is in level 2 of SOS. 
The doctor checks Silas, and it turns out that he has level 1 SOS. He asks the doctor if he has to go to the DEN, but the doctor assures him that cure at level 1 is easy and possible. At lunch, Silas again keeps staring at Nia. He seems to be observing her facial features. Silas gets his medication for SOS and takes it at night, while listening to a voice narrating the effects and causes of SOS. The voice adds that people with the last stage of SOS, stage 4, are taken to DEN and are electrocuted for showing emotions. The sick will go through a pain-free death scenario. The following day at work, Silas cannot concentrate and is distressed. He even cries while working and tries to hide it from his colleagues. He follows Nia around work at all times. The next morning, he switches his work with a colleague to get closer to Nia. As she explains the work to him, he doesn't seem to concentrate and keeps staring at her. Silas stays late after work and listens to Nia's recorded voice on her computer. He has begun falling in love with her. The next day, Silas and his team are in a meeting, when he accidentally drops a mug of coffee. He admits that he is suffering from level 1 SOS. The group collectively decides that Silas should stay as far as possible while working, so that the others feel more comfortable. After work, as Nia leaves for her apartment, Silas follows her. Nia catches him in the act but Silas in turn questions her if she has SOS too. He tells her about him noticing her demure change when the guy committed suicide that week. Nia insists she is fine and leaves. The following day at work, Silas stays as far as possible from everyone, but doesn't stop looking at Nia. The two act like the conversation yesterday never happened, both of them work late that day. Nia goes to the bathroom and Silas follows her. He gets into her bathroom stall and goes inside. The two are close when they touch each other for the first time. Silas feels Nia's face in awe. Nia reveals that she has had SOS for a year now, she never went to the doctor because she was afraid of being sent to the DEN. She then tells him that their being together is too risky, so they can't meet like this again. The two get up and finally kiss. It is now the next day, and everyone has left the office except the two. Nia again leaves for the restroom and Silas follows. The two hold on to each other, but are too afraid to move on with the relationship. They kiss again. From the following day, they start sneaking into the restroom every day. They laugh, talk, and kiss. The two are falling in love. One day, Admus's manager, Leonard, comes into the restroom while the two are together. Nia stays hidden while Silas goes out and talks to him. As it turns out, someone had reported Silas's strange behavior to Leonard. He warns Silas of the consequences of sneaking around, and leaves. The two talk on their way back home, and Silas tells her that he will look for another job to not get caught, so the next day, Silas resigns from his job. A man named Dominic replaces him as Silas gets a new job at a nursery. At night, while picking up medicines, Silas meets Jonas again. The two talk for a while and Jonas reveals that he is a part of a support group with people who are suffering from SOS. He offers to help Silas if he needs it. Soon, Silas visits the support group and meets its members namely Bess, Peter, Thomas Gill, Max, and Alice. There, he finds out that half of patients brought to DEN commit suicide as the staff encourages them. Some even watch them kill themselves. As opposed to electro-restraints, suicide seems more preferable to everyone. Silas is shocked. Later that night, Nia knocks on his door. He brings her inside and she breaks down crying. She had missed him too much. One thing leads to another and the two end up having sex. From the following day, the two meet every night at Silas's apartment. Silas has completely stopped taking his medication. The two are beyond happy with their lifestyle. That is until one morning, they hear the announcement that a medication to treat SOS has been made. 
The announcer suggests everyone who has been diagnosed with SOS to take the medicine. SOS of any level can be treated with it. Scared that they will not be able to feel anymore, Silas and Nia go to the support group. They have decided to run away to the other peninsula. Bess tells them that it is not a good idea, but they have made their decision. They decide to leave in three days with Jonas's help. However, Nia gets a conception call from the collective. Why would you they tell want them? her to artificially bear a child. Dummy. If the doctor checks her blood results, they will diagnose her with SOS. Scared, she tells this to Silas who asks her to meet him at the clinic after her appointment. At the clinic, the doctor informs Nia that she is pregnant. Silas sees two guards taking her away, but he cannot do anything. They take her to DEA. Silas frantically asks Jonas for help, who tells him to go home and wait for a couple of hours. Bess, who is also a worker at DEN frees Nia and takes her to the rest of the support group. They make her dress up as fast as she can. Bess then explains to her that a patient named Eva had killed herself last night. Bess has changed her records to Nia's. So now Nia can live freely as Eva. Nia runs away to Silas's apartment but is surprised when she doesn't find him there. Meanwhile, Silas is at work where it is announced in the news that Max had reported Bess, Jonas, and Gilead. So now, all three of them were cured and void of emotions. He then runs to DEN's headquarters and asks a worker about Nia. He informs him of her death. Silas is devastated. He goes blank and starts having a panic attack. Nia goes searching for him when he doesn't return back to the apartment. Meanwhile, Silas climbs on top of Atmos's building to commit suicide. As he is about to jump, he changes his decision. When he gets back to his apartment, he is greeted by a worried Nia. She immediately notices the mark on his neck. Silas has been cured of SOS. Nia asks him why he did that, to which he replies that he thought she was dead. The cure only takes effect in six hours, so he only has one more hour before his emotions go away. Nia is still pregnant, so she asks Silas to fight the cure. The two still decide to go through the plan to run away. The next morning, Silas remembers that he loved her but doesn't feel it anymore. He tells her to get dressed to go to the train as they had decided. In the train, Nia is disappointed, as Silas sits two seats away from her. Nia reminisces of all the good times with Silas. Just then, he sits on the seat beside her and holds her hand, suggesting that he will soon recover and gain his emotions back. Subscribe for more videos like this, turn on notifications, and leave a like to help the channel out. Thank you for watching. Did she get donkey today? Please tell Absolutely. me. I have become donkey of the day. At the Breakfast Club, bitches. You're a donkey. Yeah, it's donkey today for Friday, September 17th. Goes to an Alabama woman by the name of Nanette Waldrop. Now, Nanette, I'm sending you healing energy. And I want you to know that even though I'm giving you donkey today, I feel your pain. And I'm using this as an opportunity to teach more so than anything okay and the lesson to be learned in this situation is easy leave people's kids alone okay and parents teach your children to leave other people's kids alone because earlier this week we took a florida woman by the name of ashley ruffin the breakfast club court because she had to intervene in an altercation between her son who's in middle school and a young man who he got into an altercation with a couple of times okay mama happened to be there mama ashley happened to be there uh the second time her son and dude got into it so she intervened oh, i ain't never had what is a Okay, especially a mom supposed to do. Stand there and watch her child, her baby, get beat up. Okay, so I overstand why Ashley Ruffin intervened. Now, Nanette Waldrop situation, Nanette, just a little bit different because her son, uh, I don't know if it was a son, I, this is a child, her child. <laughs> Nanette, 
A bit more? Oh, okay. I really want to learn how to be an amazing... What? It seems like 6ix9ine snitching and dissing caught up with him, and he's now in serious trouble. What's going on? It's your boy King back with another video. Now, 6ix9ine has made enemies all over the place, putting himself in danger from all sides because of how many people he's offended, ratting them out. The people he got locked up for a lifetime. Like, come on now, you're 37 years old. When you're a grown person and your young child is being bullied, you reach out to that child's parents and tell them control their kids. Tell them stop their child from bullying yours. And you let the parent know, if your child doesn't stop bullying my child, then I'm going to beat you up. Okay, I tell my daughter that all the time. My 13-year-old, somebody bother you at school, let me know because I'm going to beat their daddy up. All right, that's my mindset. Parents will pay for the dysfunction of their children. Now, I'm going to tell you why the reason or why the lesson is leave people's kids alone. Because, see, this creates a cycle of assault. Your child bullies my child, okay? You know, I, as the parent, confront the child bullying my child, put hands on them, and now that child's parent is coming for the fate. Wouldn't you, Envy? Yes. Regardless, okay? I don't give a damn if my child was bullying your child. You don't discipline my child. You don't put hands on my child. I don't care if my child was right or wrong. I'm coming to put hands on you now. Okay, that's why I say leave people kids alone. Fuck these kids. No, no, Ebony K. Williams, you cannot say F those kids, okay? There is a way for us to handle kids bullying other kids, and it starts with us, the parents, carrying ourselves like the adults we are. And if we, the adults, can't get on the same page, then I just got to beat your daddy up, and my wife going to have to beat somebody mama up. But please, leave people kids alone. Like, fuck your kids. Montero, no! Okay, it's not F those kids. All right? Now, look, by all means, don't let nobody beat up on your child. Don't let nobody bully your child. But also, don't forget you're an adult. Please give them that neck wall drop. The sweet sounds of the Hamiltons. You are the donkey of the day. You are the donkey of the day. the emotionally being you know when you're 37 years old and you love your babies and your babies come home and tell you that you know they're being bullied or you know somebody hurt them i get it you know what i mean but you can't run up on the school bus and end up in a fight with an 11 year old why not and shut up <laughs> shut up no, man. i'm serious i mean the first time yes i get it but you continue continue they, you take it to the parents if bosses talk to bosses if you continually no you man know, Take bosses, talk child. to bosses. Who now you gotta have this conversation. Hey, 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 little, You have it with the parents. Little whatever your name no, is. No, Let me no, tell no, you something. No, Let me no, tell no, you something. My daughter no, can go off this bus no, again crying. No. You're gonna have a problem. Because I'm gonna whip your ass, your mama ass, your grandpa no. ass, your grandmama ass, your aunt ass, and your uncle ass. You gotta ass. start with the daddy first. You start with the daddy oh, and you I'm tell the daddy all of that you just said. You said, if your child don't stop bullying my child, I'm gonna beat your ass. My wife gonna beat your mama, your wife ass. We're gonna have a royal rumble of families. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you one or two, but the, the, No, the I ain't third, giving you two now. You the, get... the second time my daughter come off that bus crying, look, look, me and you, whatever your name is, little one, we, we got to have this conversation. I would just add your, add your name to the mister. Let's say after them kids. Then. And I don't want to play guess what race it is. I know what race it is. <laughs> my race, because I would do the same thing. I'm getting on that bus. Puerto Rican? I'm black. Dominican. I'm black. You think I was a Dominican? No, I think it was black. Oh. Were they black? 
I'm not saying. <laughs> black. I'm not saying. Just tell me. I'm not saying. Tell me. No. Tell me. No. It was black. No. Nope. Had to be. Had nope. to be. <laughs> donkey today is brought to you by the law office of Michael S. Lamisoff. Don't be a donkey. Dial pound two fifty on your cell and say the bull. If you've been hurt in a construction accident, that's pound two five zero from your cell and say the bull. We just saw a fantastic jobs report, uh, you know, 50-year low unemployment rate. We have a 50-year low for the unemployment rate. Wages have risen 3.1% over the last year. If you look at wage and isolation, you do have individuals that will move for 25 cents, 50 cents an hour. I mean, that's, that's real. This is the brand new break room at Marvin. Marvin isn't a tech startup. It's not a boutique creative agency. It's not a Gen Z digital outlet. Marvin is a fourth-generation, family-owned manufacturing company headquartered in War Road, a remote town in northern Minnesota. Like, really remote. So remote that Marvin had to fly us up there on a private company plane to shoot this story. Marvin makes windows and doors, and they've been doing it for a while. Think over a hundred years, based in this same remote northern Minnesota town the whole time. And their employees... Well, they've been there a while, too. Been here 25 years. I have 14 years of service. I've been at Marvin for almost 13 years. Even with a loyal workforce, Marvin and other manufacturers find themselves squeezed by this historically tight labor market where unemployment is low and workers have more job opportunities. And not just workers in San Francisco and New York. Even in this rural Midwestern town with more than 1,700 people that sits six miles from the Canadian border. So, just like the big guys in the most populous cities, Marvin had to get creative. The strong U.S. economy has led to a tight labor market. That means there are more jobs available than workers to fill them. Unemployment came in at 3.5% in December 2019. That's a 50-year low. There have been more job openings than unemployed people since early 2018. And the manufacturing industry is not immune. In fact, those numbers are even more dire for employers. In December 2019, the unemployment rate in the manufacturing space was sitting around 2.7%. The labor market for this industry has been getting tighter and tighter since 2010. We've had unemployment rates underneath 4% 16 out of the last 18 months. These are tight labor markets. Firms are competing for, firm, for workers and they're trying any margin they can do to successfully compete for them. That competition comes in many forms. Some employers are easing hiring requirements. A 2019 survey found that 62% of employers would hire workers with less than the required experience. 
and larger companies have gotten more creative about how they attract and keep their talent. AOL routinely hosts lip sync competitions. Adobe built meditation rooms. Intel offers free on-site car washes. But many of those companies have at least one thing. But Marvin isn't. The company employs more than 2,000 people in their war road facilities. That's more than the entire population of the town. This means that even in a less competitive economy, they would still need to attract workers from outside of War Road. And even though some manufacturers have left workers in recent months, unemployment throughout manufacturing industry employees is still low, and competition for these workers is as fierce as ever in the northern Minnesota region. Polaris, the multi-billion dollar ATV and snowmobile manufacturer, has a factory just 20 miles down the road in Roseau, Minnesota. It's about a 26-minute drive away. Around northern Minnesota, the jobs are available all over the place out there. Um, so that, that's one of the things that it's, it's hard to retain people and, and keep people in the area. One way that Marvin does compete right now is on salary. Starting pay at Marvin is between $15.25 and $18.25 per hour. That's higher than the Minnesota minimum wage, which is $10 per hour. But with unemployment at a historic low, Marvin is stepping up its game. Part of that strategy? Turn the factory into a place where people enjoy spending their time. That brand new break room that Marvin built? There's a reason it looks like it would fit right in at the Airbnb or Google offices. It's because Marvin went on a design inspiration tour right through Silicon Valley. We've been to Google, we've been to Pinterest, Airbnb. The space uses Swedish design. It has pastel colors, a communal meeting table, new booths, power outlets, and one employee favorite, lots of new microwaves. Marvin also cut into the ceiling of the plant to add skylights, the only way to get natural light into a room located in the middle of a building. It may have been a wise decision. According to the Harvard Business Review, quote, comfortable light is an important wellness perk to 50% of workers. I definitely, like how bright it is. It seems so gloomy and dungeony before. Project involves renovating all the bathrooms in the building, some of which hadn't been remodeled since the 60s. Marvin's also adding private telephone booths on the floor and updating the offerings for new mothers. The idea for the lactation pods came from our, our HR team that supports the operations group. And I received an email from a couple of them and had indicated A, there is a need. But then B, in an airport, we saw one of these you know, mobile you know, pods and they said, well, could we give it a try? And Marvin isn't just making changes to its physical workspaces. The company is also experimenting with a revamped work schedule. Marvin introduced a new long weekend shift offering employees flexibility and work-life balance. Jenna Kendrick was born in War Road and has worked at Marvin for six years. Earlier this year, she left her job as a production senior to become the weekend lead. Her team of six works 12-hour shifts on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Not having to find somebody to drive my children to their events has been just a big relief. And also being able to see them play their games because most of their summer events games are during the week. Um, I also have a younger, my youngest, he is seven years old. He is home, and when my two oldest are out playing sports, I have nobody to watch him, so that's another relief. 
Flexible scheduling isn't unique to Mark. It's five o'clock. Flexible scheduling, fitness incentives, and on-site healthy food options topped U.S. workers' wish lists, according to a 2019 survey. Margaret's efforts appear to be working, at least with their current employees. The renovations and updated shift schedules are popular. You know, it shows that they care. When you get to come and enjoy your break in here and, you know, the atmosphere and even the bathroom. Marvin declined to disclose the exact cost of their renovations, but promised the commitment they're making is, quote, not small. But if they're already spending all that money, could the answer to hiring and retaining employees be as simple as just giving everybody a raise? We make sure we're providing meaningful work for a fair wage. I don't think things are siloed. I don't think it's this or this. It's a blend of many things to provide a, a total experience for the employee. In addition to trying to create that total experience, the renovations will also likely be cheaper for Marvin than an across-the-board raise. Economists say that non-traditional perks let companies improve an employee's time at work, but more importantly, those perks don't drag down company profits. So when they do a wage increase, what they're doing is they're changing the nature of the bargain with the employee. That becomes the new base. So that's part of the whole cost of doing business. It sort of eats into their profit margin. And how slim, how slim are their margins in terms of where they operate, say, in a very competitive environment. If they do a benefit, kind of a one-off benefit, such as something like having these really beautiful break rooms and things like that, there is an investment, but it's not a continual contribution necessarily to a higher pay scale to maintain, to maintain that benefit. Even if employees are happy, there's another problem decades in the making. Manufacturing workers and the towns that house them are getting older. According to a 2016 study, 27% of manufacturing employees is facing a wave of retirements in the next decade, or even sooner. Marvin knows this. It's another reason behind the renovation decision. Marvin has been blessed in that we have so many employees who have been here decades upon decades upon decades. Remember? 25 years. I have 14 years of service. Almost 13 years. But there's an inevitable downside to celebrating so many multi-decade work anniversaries. But we are making decisions and we're looking at our shift schedules in different ways to, you know, accommodate and look at the, the incoming, you know, generations as well as our our current generations too, so that we can be a desirable place where, you know, people are, they're coming here not just to do a job, but they feel connected in a broader way to our purpose and what we're doing. Polaris, the snowmobile company with a plant in nearby Roseau, is also feeling the pressure. We had reached out and partnered with 31 different schools you know, in about a two-hour radius, you know, from Roseau, you know, to ensure that we've got the connections and the relationships and our uh, not only supporting, but um, you know, building the interest, uh, bringing students in with through internships throughout the summer, um, you know, providing a a look for them to see that it's just not a job at Blurs; it, it, it's a career. Roseau County, which includes both War Road and Roseau, has its own initiatives to attract new talent to the rural region. The city of Roseau estimates the area loses around three quarters of its 18 to 22 year old population when they leave for college. They're focused on drawing those people back to small town life in their late 20s, when they have kids and are looking for stability. The county runs a down payment assistance program aimed at helping new residents purchase a home and put down roots in the area. 
The revolving loan program provides eligible candidates with up to $7,500 to be used for a down payment. Funding comes in part from major employers in the area, including both Polaris and Marvin. These Northern Minnesota initiatives are part of a larger nationwide trend. The Kansas Commerce Department offers up to $15,000 in student loan repayments for individuals who move to one of its 80 rural counties. And in the Northeast, Vermont is putting up cold, hard cash. The state's program offers new residents $10,000 over two years in an attempt to draw people to an aging state with 2.3% unemployment. By 2030, 24% of Vermont's population will be over 65, up from just 13% in 2006. Those initiatives may be working. Millennials are leaving big cities by the thousands. In 2018, nearly 27,000 people aged 25 to 39 left cities like New York and San Francisco for more family-friendly and affordable places to live. It was the fourth year in a row these urban centers saw their young adult population shrink. Christine Marvin says attracting those young workers to War Road will be a part of Marvin's next chapter. We're in a new age, right? And we're in such a fast-paced, you know, digital world. And now we're experiences, you know, are king alongside, you know, the products, quality products we create, that we're in a, a unique position to help, you know, make the, make the future real and help drive us into that, you know, that next generation. And if the future is modern break rooms, mobile lactation pods, spa-like bathrooms, and schedules aimed at work-life balance, War Road, Minnesota just might be able to give those big cities a run for their money. Invest in you. Ready, set, grow. CNBC and Acorns. While testing a supposed knife-proof vest, a reporter in Israel was stabbed multiple times, but unexpectedly the knife actually penetrated the vest, causing a cut on his back. Yo, Reporter Etam Lockover wrote on Twitter that he had a superficial stab wound and was released from a hospital after getting a few stitches. The vice president for the company who makes the vest said that the reporter was stabbed in a section of the vest that doesn't have the protective material. Israeli soldiers are supposed to receive the same vest after a wave of recent stabbings have occurred in the country. Be sure to watch Inside Edition. Hi folks, Canadian Prepper here. So today on the channel, I'm going to share my thoughts and perspectives on the events that have transpired recently in Afghanistan and what the implications are for the rest of the world and of course North America in particular. I also want to talk about how it's going to affect us as preppers and how it's going to affect my preparedness strategy moving forward. The short of it is, it's only going to intensify it. So let's talk about it. Hi folks, Canadian Prepper here. So if you're new to the channel and you've come through one of the bug out bag videos or a food storage video or some practical how-to video like that, know that I will occasionally drift off course into the realm of current events 
and I'll share my opinions on these things. And part of the reason why is because we live in a postmodern age of dissonant media voices. And it's up to us at the end of the day to discern what exactly is going on so that we can be ahead of the curve. There's this thing called the Overton window. And the Overton window is this idea that there's at any given time political ideas which are acceptable to discuss. And unfortunately, oftentimes the truth will fall outside of the Overton window. So a prudent prepper will seek to see what's beyond the Overton window so that we can prepare and plan accordingly because half of preparedness is anticipating what is coming next. You know, you're gonna have to forgive me today. I'm losing my voice. I'm a little under the weather, but I'm getting better. But it's important that I make this video. I actually made the video twice and I had it all cut up and ready to go, ready to publish on YouTube. And I was just like, nah. you know, I didn't think the timing was right. Cause oftentimes when I do these hot take videos, there's an element of emotion involved. And I figured this time I'm gonna wait a few days and just let things settle to see exactly how this is gonna play out. Now, because I've never uh, been to Afghanistan and because I'm not an expert on geopolitics, I'm gonna be flying by the seat of my intuition for this video. And my intuition tells me that the balance of power around the world is shifting. The United States for a long time has aspired to maintain a balance of power around the world. Whether you are a person who is uh, pro-interventionism or not, one thing is for certain that there are power vacuums around the world. There are destabilized countries around the world, which unfortunately tend to be breeding grounds for extremist groups or they're just entry points for other superpowers to go and expand their influence like we're seeing now. What do countries like Venezuela, Cuba, many other Latin American countries, Iraq, Syria, Libya, what are some other ones? Um, North Korea, Vietnam, obviously Afghanistan. What do all these countries have in common? Well, this is where there was a clash between East and West. By and large, with Afghanistan, the situation's a bit more complicated from what I hear because of the uh, different groups which are vying for power in that region, which are not necessarily de demarcated along the traditional East First Western lines. However, it's no surprise that the countries uh, that remain active and that the embassies that are remaining 100% operational are the Chinese. I'm not sure about the Russian, but definitely the Chinese embassies. So this signifies to me that the balance of power is definitely shifting and the American empire is on its last legs potentially. And this rant, it, when I speak of American or Chinese or even Russian, I'm not talking about the people who are used as pawns in this big chessboard. I'm talking about the governing institutions, okay, that are at the helm of these countries and their resources. So I'm not talking about the people in particular. So if I say China or I say Russia or the United States, I'm not talking about the common person. We see that one of the places that uh, the U.S. continuously fails, and this is perhaps uh, the downfall of many big empires, is that you try to fight asymmetrical battles with symmetrical tactics. At the end of the day, if you have to wear a uniform and your enemy doesn't and they can blend in gray man style, you're gonna lose that battle nine times out of 10, which has been the case basically, where these puppet regimes that the US tries to put in in order to act as a buffer 
between East and West and maintain this balance of power, they continuously fail, okay? Uh, part of the reason why is because they don't have the hearts and minds of the people, unfortunately, which ultimately at the end of the day, you have to. The result that I think is gonna come out of this is, number one, uh, this signifies that there's gonna be very dark times ahead in terms of escalating tensions between East and West. It means that we are likely going to see an intensification of a refugee crisis, not only in Afghanistan, but across the Middle East. And it also means that you now are going to have, a, yet again, another breeding ground from which extremist groups can launch these asymmetrical attacks against U.S. and NATO and its allies. Those are the three major problems that I see coming out of this. The other big problem that this signifies is that peace, we're a long way from peace on an international scale, not even close. And that's unfortunate because there are these major global crises that we're going to be facing in the coming years. One that I talk about uh, often on this channel. Uh, fortunately, we've been able to get some rain, but we've seen massive widespread crop failure across North America as a result of the heating climate. And the only way to ever tackle those issues is to do it on an international scale. And unfortunately, whether it's Taiwan, Hong Kong, the Korea Peninsula, Vietnam, we can see that the divide is only widening. And unfortunately, things are not going to improve towards the end of having amicable relationship that can actually work towards having uh, collective solutions being put in place to deal with the climate issue. What we have to expect then is a lot more of the same. You know, a lot of people might be thinking to themselves, you know, what is this talk about Afghanistan? Why is this even significant to everybody else? I'm sick of hearing about it. Yes, it doesn't necessarily affect us directly right now, but it does have big implications for the future. So the short of it is what we can expect is more political polarization as a result of increased immigration. We can expect more war, unfortunately. We can expect more economic turmoil. We can expect more climate chaos, pretty much more of the same. What is your interpretation of what's going on in the world right now as it pertains to that neck of the woods, Afghanistan? Let me know in the comments section below. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and please go check out my recent video titled, What are the best and worst cities to be in after it all goes down? Stay safe, everybody. Thanks for watching. Canadian Prepper out. The best way to support this channel is to support yourself by gearing up at CanadianPreparedness.com. Your one-stop shop for premium, high-quality, brand-name products that have been tried and tested by myself and other YouTube gear reviewers. My subscribers save 10% off by using the coupon code SURVIVALPREPPER. All one word in all caps.
<laughs> Man, they can't do nothing. Listen, you're interrupting me, man. Okay, I'm okay, sorry. Okay, what I'm saying is if okay. someone says no onion, 
That means no one and they don't make the first. <laughs> You're correct. Okay, so that's a what, what I shouldn't be up here right now. You're so correct. Can you please make her salad the way she wanted? I don't have the lettuce to make it, but she won't remain there. It doesn't matter. You won't remain that so she don't need to take it like that. I mean, because I it clearly she says fresh. And it clearly says she says she will take it like that. Yeah, but it clearly says she has a good thousand cranberries. She agreed to make it. Did she give you that option? You didn't give
No stack plate, no cheese. I also had a order of uh, regular nuggets. That's it. Right here at this window. What's up, everybody on YouTube? 